Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. I told our second service people a while back that I, I, I guess that shows how old-fashioned I am. Take your Bibles because probably half or more in our second service are probably using electronic devices. So just find Luke chapter 8 in whatever way you've got to find it, all right? Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, is where we're going to be at today. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 22 through 25 and saw how Jesus triumphed over dangers. He calmed the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Mike even made reference to that in his call to worship. But today, we're going to see how Jesus triumphs over demons. And in a couple weeks, we're going to see how Jesus triumphs over disease. But last week, we saw Jesus asleep in the back of a boat in the midst of a ferocious, life-threatening storm, but he wasn't afraid. He knew that he was safe. He had no fear, no storm, no power, not even Satan himself can overpower or overcome Jesus or destroy him. And so he slept. He had no fear. (laughs) The disciples certainly did, though, and so they awakened him. And when they did so, he got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind and the water recognized the voice of their Creator. And they became completely calm uh, instantly, just as still as could be. Well, verse 26 of chapter 8 says, And they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. What does that tell us? It tells us they made it through the storm. They made it through the storm. They got it to the other side. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, aren't you glad that we've got a God that's able to not only get us through the storms of life, but get us to where we're going? Gets us to the other side. A God that always leads us in triumph and victory. Praise God for that. The remainder of this chapter is incredible. I mean, it describes three situations that, from a human perspective, were incurable. First of all, there's the demon-possessed man in verses 26 through 39 that we're looking at today. But later in the chapter, there's a woman that had a crippling disease in verses 43 through 48. And then there is a girl that was dead in verses 49 through 56. Now, in our world today, the demon-possessed man would be sent to a mental institution. The woman would be assigned to hospice. The girl would be taken to a cemetery. But all that changed when Jesus entered the picture. It all changed because Jesus changes everything, every situation, every single person that he meets. And he wants to change you this morning. He wants to change all of us to become more like him. So let's read our text this morning, beginning in verse 26. It says, They sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he had come out onto the land, he was met by a certain man from the city who was possessed with demons and who had not put on any clothing for a long time and was not living in a house but in the tombs. And seeing Jesus, 
He cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had been commanding the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would burst his fetters and be driven by the demon into the desert. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they were entreating him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now there was a herd of many swine feeding there on the mountain, and the demons entreated him to permit them to enter the swine, and he gave them permission. And the demons came out from the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country, and the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting down at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they became frightened. And those who had seen it reported to them how the man who was demon-possessed had been made well. And all the people of the country of the Gerasenes and the surrounding district asked him to depart from them, for they were gripped with great fear. And he got into a boat and returned. But the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him that he might accompany him. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it had been a wild and stormy night for the Lord and his disciples, and now it's going to be a wild and stormy morning. Jesus had just dealt with bad weather, now he's going to deal with blatant wickedness. So I want you to notice, first of all, the confrontation that takes place here. Matthew chapter 8 also records this event, and Matthew tells us that there were two demon-possessed men that came running down the hill towards Jesus. Luke in our text, only mentions one, as does Mark in Mark chapter 5. Now, does that mean there weren't two? Well, no, it just means that Luke and Mark focus their attention on one of them, which may have been the fiercer of the two, the worst one of the two. But these two demon-possessed men had terrorized this village for a long time, Apparently, they were very violent and incredibly strong. They were, people tried to keep them under guard and weren't successful at that. They had tried to restrain them with shackles and chains, but they would just burst them loose. They lived among the tombs in a graveyard of dead bodies that were decomposing. The stench, the smell, had to be repulsive and overwhelming. Luke says of the one that he focuses on here that for a long time he hadn't worn any clothes in verse 27. So he would have looked disgusting, been covered with dirt and filth, and most likely had a number of sores and infections all over his body. Mark tells us that night and day among the tombs and on the mountains he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So he had become a madman, a maniac, a monster. 
would have been completely irrational, completely unapproachable, antisocial because all the people wanted nothing to do with him. They had chained him off and to try to restrain him didn't work. He'd bust loose. He'd become a very evil man. One commentator said this, this was no ordinary demoniac possessed by an evil spirit. This was Satan's prize exhibit, a man tormented and driven by a vast number of fearful evil spirits. Well, these two men come running down the hill thinking, here's some more people we can harass, some more people we can hurt, some more people that we can scare and torment, and then all of a sudden they're stopped in their tracks. Because these demons realize this is not just another man from the village. This is the Son of Man from heaven. This is Jesus, the Son of God. And it stopped them dead in their tracks. So that's the confrontation, but notice the conversation that ensues. Seeing Jesus, he cried out and fell before him and said in a loud voice, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. So suddenly this demon-possessed man isn't interested in harming Jesus, in scaring Jesus, which wouldn't have worked anyway. But he's coming to bow down before him. And when Luke says here that he fell before him, those words in the Greek language literally mean to worship to demonstrate submission, to show respect to one greater than yourself. They knew who he was. No one else could restrain this man. But when he came face to face with Jesus, he fell to his knees. And this conversation takes place. And Jesus, in verse 30, begins by asking him, What is your name? Now notice that Jesus asks the demon, not the man, because the demon was actually doing the speaking through this man's body. And please, please understand, folks, demons know who Jesus is. They know. In fact, James 2.19 says what? Even the demons believe and they, they shudder, they tremble. That's right. They know who Jesus is. Are demons still in our world today? Absolutely they are. I want to read you a quote from Dr. John MacArthur, and you may not agree with everything he says in the quote, but the point that is coming through is that demons are still in our world today and are still affecting the lives of people. But here's what he says. He says, don't kid yourself about Satan. It's not always this blatant. It's not always this overt, but we have enough people that show up in society like this to understand that behavior, don't we? How else can you explain a Charles Manson? How else can you explain a Jeffrey Dahmer? How else can you explain somebody that takes guns and rounds of ammo into a school and just relentlessly kills students? How do you explain that? That is not psychological deviation. That is demonic possession. We see enough of it to understand it's there. We even use the word monsters, maniacs. 
We run out of adjectives to describe people like that whose lives have been literally taken over by demons. That's the end of his quote. Now, you may not agree that the specific examples that he gave, that those people were demon-possessed, but I think you would have to agree that demons are still active in our world today. Satan's still at work. And that's going to continue until the Lord returns. So please know demons are real. They know who Jesus is. And they're still in our world today impacting the lives of people. 1 John 3 verse 8 tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus speaks to the demon and asks him, what is your name? The demon replied, Legion, because many demons had entered that man. Did Jesus ask him for his name because he needed the information? Well, of course not. He already knew the demon's name. He knows all things. I think he asked as a matter of clarification. I think he asked as a way of showing that demon, I know that you're all in there. Legion, it's really not a name. Legion is a military designation. A legion of Roman soldiers would have had 6,000 men. So did that mean that this man had 6,000 demons in him? And I don't have an answer to my own question. It's possible. Maybe not. Does the name simply signify many? That he had a lot of demons? Well, certainly at least that. And you think you've got problems. Wow. Wow. These demons were squatters, they were invaders and intruders. They had no right to this man's heart. Folks, God created every living thing, every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, and the human heart, your heart, was created for God. Please know that. It was not created for Satan. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11 says, He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. And yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And I think you've heard this quote before from philosopher Blaise Pascal who said, There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God, the Creator, made known through Christ. So your heart was created for God. And these demons here had set up shop in the life of this man and turned him into a monster. They had no right to his heart. But listen, when you crack the door open to the devil, beware. You don't know what you're going to let in. You have no idea what you're letting into your life. How many of you lock your doors of your house at night before you go to bed? Yeah. How many of you did that 40 years ago? Yeah, not near as many hands. You see, we didn't worry about that. But in our world today, we lock our doors, don't we? Why in the world would you lock your doors at night to keep you and your family safe from intruders and invaders that can hurt you and harm you and kill you and yet not guard your heart and your mind and your soul, which is more important? 
Well, in verse 32, Jesus gave the demons permission to enter this herd of swine that was nearby. There were about 2,000 of them, according to Mark's account. The demons had pled with Jesus not to send them into the abyss in verse 31. What's the abyss? Well, you can read about that over in the book of Revelation. But it's a place where God has, has chained and, and limited some of Satan's forces and demons. Okay, And so they knew that if Jesus sent them there, they'd just be chained with other demons. But why would they want to enter pigs? And I have no idea. I don't know. But I can tell you this, the instant the demons entered the pigs, the pigs rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned themselves. So evidently the pigs preferred death over demons. But that's what happened. Now notice what happens next. Notice the congregation of people that come out. The herdsmen that were in charge of the pigs, they ran into the city and into the country to tell everybody what had happened which I think tells us two things. Number one, they're probably covering themselves and letting people know they weren't responsible for those pigs dying. It's not our fault. And secondly, I think this pig enterprise was probably something that all the people of that area were involved in. This may have been a community kind of thing, a village business or a city business, maybe a source of income for that entire community of that area. That's possible. And so they go say, hey, here's what happened, but it's not our fault. Well, verse 35 says the people came to see what had happened. In Matthew's account, Matthew 8, verse 34, it says all the city came out. And what do they see when they get there? A demon-possessed man that they were all afraid of, sitting there, now clothed, in his right mind, and now they are scared to death. They are really frightened. Who has that kind of power? Well, those people that had seen what happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs share all the details about what had happened, and the result was a citywide praise service to thank Jesus for what he had done. Right? Wrong. But isn't that how the story should end? Absolutely. That's the way it should end, but sadly, that's not how the story really ends. In fact, quite the opposite. Verse 37 tells us the people begged Jesus to leave. They're gripped with great fear. Why in the world would they respond that way? Why didn't they think Jesus... Thank him for getting rid of public nuisance number one. For taking care of something that had, that had harassed them for years and years. Why didn't they thank him? Well, it may have been they were more comfortable with Satan than with Jesus. Maybe they were more comfortable with sin than salvation. Maybe they were more comfortable with hell in their city, than heaven in their hearts. When it came down to it, they were more concerned with pigs than with people. More concerned with profit than with people. More concerned with swine than with souls. 
Do we ever get that way? Do we ever let things become more important to us than the salvation of people's souls? What have we been called to do? Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And we're called to that same mission. John 3.19 says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works, their deeds were evil. And here's a group of people that had the light right in their midst, and they preferred the darkness. And so Jesus left. But as he's leaving, getting into the boat, something happens. And here's the consummation to this account. The man that had been demon-possessed begged Jesus if he could come with him. And Jesus said, no. And you wonder, well, why in the world not, Jesus? I mean, take this guy with you. Think of the testimony that he has. I mean, you can, you can preach the message. You can point to him. He can share his testimony. And, and, and that would be amazing. But Jesus said, no. He said, go home and tell your family what God has done for you, how you've received mercy. That's exactly what he did. Luke's account says he went throughout the whole city telling people about Jesus. In Mark's account, Mark 5 verse 20, it tells us this man went throughout the Decapolis. The Decapolis, if you look on a map, a Bible map, was a region of ten main cities. Deca meaning ten. The Decapolis, a region of ten cities. He went through a whole region telling people about Jesus. This former demon-possessed maniac was actually the first missionary ever commissioned to mission work. And in Mark chapter 7, it tells us Jesus goes back to that Gentile region, the region of the Decapolis, and they brought a, dead, a deaf man to Jesus for him to heal him. Now how in the world did they know what Jesus could do? Because he'd never been there before. <laughs> His missionary had been. That former demon-possessed man, I believe, had quite a ministry in the Decapolis so that people came to hear Jesus when he came. That's the message. But let me make a couple, three observations. The first is this. If Jesus can use that demon-possessed man to spread the word, he can use you to do the same thing. Right? So what's your testimony? Have you figured it out yet? What's your story that you can tell people of how you came to Christ? What Jesus means to you? And granted, it's probably not going to be a story like this man's. But there's some pretty amazing stories of people that turned to Christ. What's your testimony? I mean, if Jesus can use this man to spread the word, he can use you to do whatever he calls you to do. Never doubt that. But a second observation is that Jesus came all the way across that lake and through a storm just so that man could be saved. Which tells me he'll do whatever it takes to save you even if it means dying on a cross, which he did. Jesus wants you to be saved. And if he can save a demon-possessed man like that, I know he can save 
anyone here today. Here's the third observation. If Jesus can cast a legion of demons out of this man, and if he can calm the storm and the sea, what can he do for you? What do you need Jesus to do for you? All things are possible with Jesus, the Son of the living God. And by the way, did uh, this man clean his life up before he came to Christ? <laughs> wow, far from it. He came just as he was, down the hillside, but he left totally different. And so you come to Jesus just as you are. He can break the chains, the chains of sin that has bound you. One of the more popular Christian songs in the past 10 years has been Chain Breaker. And probably several of you have heard that. But that's what he is. He can do it for you. If you need to come to Christ today, you come to him. Don't delay. Leave here different. Or if there's something else, some other way that God is speaking to you from the text today, please listen and obey what He's calling you to do. Let's stand and sing.